straight to the ghetto Don't leave nothing for me I've had my chance, you see It's time to go Go straight to the ghetto Santa Claus That's old brother needs So Santa Claus All right, we are back on our special uh, Christmas program here on Radio Parallax. Let's start off. I know that some of you are out there frantically looking to buy something. And we can't think of a better stocking stuffer on this program than the Old Farmer's Almanac. We rely upon this uh, every year. That's how we can tell you that your sunsets have been coming a little bit later as of Well, almost two weeks ago. We found that out by checking it in the Old Farmer's Almanac. Of course, we're now at... uh uh, at the winter solstice, and day, this is the, we're at the shortest days of the year right now, and from now on, it only gets longer. But if you check in the Old Farmer's Almanac, you'll find out that for the next two weeks, sunrises are actually going to come a little bit later. Not so much later as sunset, so there'll be a net gain. It's hard to explain, but if you do go out and get a copy of this, we recommend that everyone should have one. Please look on the front cover and make sure you get the West Coast edition, the San Francisco edition. A lot of stores don't uh, don't pay attention and they sell you almanacs that are designed for Boston. Of course, the original Old Farmer's Almanac comes from Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, although you maybe don't want to concern yourself with the tides in Boston Harbor versus San Francisco Bay, but you certainly will perhaps want to rely, as we do, upon this document to tell you how long the days are and it'll be off if it's using Boston instead of San Francisco. You can use San Francisco uh, pretty much interchangeably with Sacramento and you know Tahoe and everything within our listening area. Apparently the current edition of the Old Farmer's Almanac is, uh, is trying to be hip and trendy. Current edition has things in it like, uh, you know, like what, are, what are collectibles, which collectibles are hot, but uh, as always, of course, you can rely upon it to give that good old common sense <laughs> advice like washing your hand with boiled potatoes keeps the skin clean while keeping it soft and healthy. Personally, at Radio Parallax, we do not feel that you can substitute a boiled potato for waterless hand cleaner, but uh, it might do something to keep your hands soft. Uh, did you know that you can raw, you can... Take a raw onion and rub it on a bee sting or insect bite to relieve the pain and itching? Well, we didn't either. <laughs> I don't know whether it works. But, uh, but if you have an opinion on this, as always, of course, you can write us at info at radioparallax and uh, inform us about the matter of the raw onion and the bee sting. You know, I'm surprised I've, that one's never come up in my experience, but, um, but it hasn't. So we got investigation continues. We would like to note in passing that uh, we've been asked by some nice folks over at the Atheists and Other Free Thinkers, the AOF, uh, apparently here in Sacramento, to, to come and give a talk to them. We we're going to try and uh, do that. I think that would be quite interesting. We would consider ourselves free thinkers. Um, I'm fond of the quote that <laughs> I tried being an atheist. I gave it up. No holidays. But it sounds like it'd be a, a curious thing and a challenge, and I think we're up for that. We will uh, we'll tell you about the, that af- after it happens. We're not sure when that'll take place, and we want to thank uh, Carla for the invite. 
Okay, let's let's just do science. I think we have two 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 segments worth of science laying here before me on the table. Let's start with the special issue of Discover Magazine. Their year in science in review. They give a hundred top science stories of 2005, and of course, uh, that's in my right hand. In my left hand, they have the last uh, most recent two issues of New Scientist. Of course, whether you're reading the, the the Old Farmer's Almanac or Discover Magazine, you'll know that uh, soon, January 24th, Earth reaches perihelion, the point in its orbit where it comes closest to the sun. As a result, the sun now looks 7% brighter than it did last July. It's its low winter elevation that keeps things chilly in the Northern Hemisphere, but of course, you knew that. But uh, also coming up uh, next month, something we really have our fingers crossed for. We reported to you two years ago from, uh, from Planet Fest down in Pasadena that uh, the Stardust spacecraft had uh, swung by the Comet Vild, actually Comet Vild 2, opened up a panel and collected on aerogel samples, samples of dust coming off the comet. Uh, the Stardust uh, spacecraft is now uh, steaming back toward planet Earth. It is scheduled to parachute onto the Utah desert on January 25th, carrying its precious cargo. Of course, the last time they were going to do one of these catch, uh, catch missions uh, where they were going to have the solar dust, it wound up embedding into the Utah desert at about 200 miles an hour, but we believe that they did put in these switches correctly, on, uh, on the Stardust spacecraft, so we have high hopes that for the first time, man will get a look at actual comet chunks in the laboratory. Stay tuned. We would know also on that same day, January 25th, the Cassini spacecraft will make its first, the first of 13 extremely close swings past Saturn's enigmatic moon, Titan, a world where methane rain is uh, sculpting gullies and perhaps forming seas, and also ice volcanoes appear to be erupting. This is one hell of an interesting place. We, of course, brought you Trina Ray, a part of the, the mission down at JPL uh, uh, two years ago, to, or actually last year, to talk about this, and we hope to bring somebody from JPL back again as, uh, as our information about this most curious moon gets advanced. And we have, uh, well, we have a, a mystery solved to tell you about. Uh, we reported on this program that over in Europe, exploding toads were turning up in Germany and in Denmark, and nobody could figure out what the heck was going on. But, of course, scientists took a look at the toads and determined that, uh, strangely enough, aggressive crows had learned how to attack the toads, peck a hole inside, and extract the liver, which is apparently a crow delicacy. In an effort to defend themselves and frighten off the predators, the toads were puffing themselves up. So these 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 puffed up toads with a with a hole in them were not actually exploding. They were being attacked and killed and partially eaten by aggressive crows. And Discover Magazine ranked as the 25th most important story of 2005, the fact that the FDA had approved the first race based drug. We, we don't understand what all the fuss is about here on this program. Yes, the FDA uh, did register formal approval of a drug that combines isorbide dinitrate and hydralazine 
two different types of antihypertensive medicines. And uh, it turns out that for whatever reason, black Americans suffering from hypertension respond well to these drugs. They respond less well to other other classes of antihypertensive drugs. So the fact that the fact that black people can take advantage of this drug seems only sensible to me, but apparently this this matter rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. The Association of Black Cardiologists was a paid sponsor of the clinical trial. They cheered the FDA's action. But apparently the idea that a drug can be race-based was roundly criticized by prominent researchers. Uh, uh, the developers were really Jay Cohn, University of Minnesota cardiologist who developed the drug, was somewhat flabbergasted by the negative reaction among sociologists, geneticists, and ethicists when the, ju- when the drug was approved. We thought they'd realize we found an effective drug for treating a underserved group with a high mortality rate from heart disease, said Dr. Cohn. We thought that would overwhelm the racial concerns. Well, you know, as time goes on, we hope it does too. All right, in a study that uh, Discover ranked the 86th most important discovery of 2005, it was noted that cell phones can simulate premature aging. In a somewhat uh, somewhat disingenuous headline, the, the, the article, in fact, concerned itself with research done at the University of Utah, which showed that when drivers between 18 and 25 years of age chat on a cell phone, they cannot react to a braking situation any better than a 65 to 74-year-old. Following a driving simulator to measure reaction times, psychologist David Strayer found teenagers have the greatest trouble combining driving and talking, but the problem affects all generations. So yes, it does appear that high-tech gadgets make it possible for people to travel through time, <laughs> to leap forward 40 to 50 years in physical disability. And you thought time travel would never take place during your own lifetime. Ha! And in the number 66 story, which frankly I, I don't understand, we need some help from This Week in Science and Dr. Andy's uh, Poetry and Technology Hour, I think, uh, it was noted that a laser transistor has made its debut. They note that um, legendary semiconductor guru Nick Holonyak and his colleagues have uh, have basically uh, taken the the uh, semiconductor in a totally new direction. Now, um, a transistor, of course, which is what which is what basically uh, you know microcircuits are glorified versions of same. They consist of doped semiconductor materials. They're they're chemically altered bits of silicon. One's called the emitter. The other is called the base. You apply a voltage. It permits a flow of current from the emitter to the collector. Um, but uh, Holonyak apparently took a look at the, what was going on and said, you know. We're just throwing away some of that base current. It was dissipated as heat and said, I think we can generate lasers uh, out of this. And apparently, uh, the man who invented the first practical light-emitting diode 22 years ago has produced a prototype. They quoted one of his colleagues as saying, Milton kept saying there was a lot of current density in the base to, to power a laser. I thought he was nuts, but it turns out he's right. What does this mean? Well, we're, we're not sure, but they note uh, that last September they reported this the prototype could run at room temperature with a clock speed of 3 gigahertz, which is the same as a top-of-the-line PC chip. This, is, of course, is just the first prototype, so they're confident that we'll easily operate 10 or perhaps even 100 times faster. So uh, this may be a way to get computers uh, really souped up. 
All right, story number 71. Apparently, they discovered the handwritten draft of Albert Einstein's 1925 manuscript, which the physicist predicted the existence of a new state of matter. Apparently, he wrote uh, five papers out with his, uh, with his own hand, and, and four of those uh, were known about. This was the last major academic paper that he produced. The original copy was lost and apparently located in, uh, in the, 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 the letters of a colleague of his uh, who in the Netherlands. Apparently, the man that found this noted that um, uh, he theorized, Einstein did, that supercooling of atoms would cause particles to be locked in the lowest quantum state of a system. This was written 70 years before a team of physicists actually produced the first evidence of the Bose-Einstein condensate. In fact, the men that did so earned the 2001 Nobel Prize in Physics for providing proof of Einstein's remarkable prescience. And we talked in this show about how the only known way to prolong your life is to do caloric restriction, but there's evidence there may be a second. It turns out mice with a defect in a gene that produces a, a protein called clotho or clotho, I don't know anything about this protein, apparently suppresses aging. Uh, these transgenetic mice that they created uh, that overexpress the gene for clotho uh, uh, live longer but eat no more nor less than do ordinary mice. So this is an interesting one. All right, number eight story of the year. Last August, Ray Bauman at the University of Texas in Dallas and colleagues reported a way to weave carbon nanotubules into usefully large material. They believe they'll be able to use this to help uh, bone regrow more effectively by providing a matrix. And of course, if they can get carbon nanotubules strung together into useful fiber, uh, it's going to be the strongest substance uh, ever seen, and this may actually make it possible to put a tether up into space and create an actual space elevator. We, we asked Steve Robinson about that a couple weeks back, and he said, well, that's a lot of technologic breakthroughs need to take place, but uh, everyone thinks that it is theoretically possible, and uh, everyone knows that if they're going to do it, they're going to need carbon nanotubes to do so. And... Um, we hope that there can be continued progress in this area. Microbiologists at the University of British Columbia have found a new type of bacteria uh, in the deep sea off the coast of Central America. These are the first known organisms to derive energy by photosynthesis while living in an environment naturally devoid of sunlight. Now, one thing's for certain, uh, you're not going to have uh, photosynthesis due to sunlight 7,800 feet down in the ocean. Sunlight uh, uh, is gone, but my understanding, by 1,000 feet down, and really most of it's gone far earlier than that. Um, so what kind of light are these bacteria relying upon? This is a mystery. They're, 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 they're hypothesizing that perhaps the, the, there's light, producing, uh, light produced down there from sonoluminescence, from imploding gas bubbles, uh, chemiluminescence from chemical reactions, kind of like fireflies, or maybe crystalluminescence from the formation of crystal bonds, or even tri-bioluminescence from the breaking of those bonds. It's a mystery that uh, has yet to be solved, but, uh, but there it is. Uh, there's speculation that perhaps life first developed a photosynthetic ability, perhaps down in a deep sea vent, because in the early Earth there would have been so much UV and harmful radiation that it might have, uh, might have destroyed delicate organisms. So perhaps, and there is some evidence for this, um, life got its start way down deep in, in, the, in the seas. 
This is speculative, of course, but uh, since we know that uh, other uh, other worlds out there, including Jupiter's moon Europa, have a sea underneath their icy crust, uh, pretty tantalizing stuff. And uh, that term tri-bioluminescence from breaking of crystal bonds, that may be familiar to you from taking <laughs> wintergreen lifesavers and going into a dark room and crunching down on them and seeing the sparks. Uh, if, if, if you've never tried that experiment, we recommend that you do so. Get yourself some wintergreen lifesavers, go into the bathroom, turn out the light, look in the mirror, put them between your teeth, and bite down. You will be amazed. Here's an interesting one, number 31 on their list. A drug combination that stirs up an immune response in the brain might provide a treatment to halt the devastating course of Alzheimer's disease. Researchers believe the disease progresses because sticky clumps of beta amyloid proteins uh, build up between neurons and eventually kill them. But this nasal spray, which included uh, one drug, Protolin, um, apparently revs up the immune system and uh, cleans up the mess. Uh, when I was in medical school many years ago, I was uh, taken aside by a man who said, I, I think you need to follow up on this. I'm too old. But I tell you, I think a lot of the treatments out there that we use in medicine are pro-inflammatory and that, that that one of the reasons we have a lot of diseases where things build up autoimmune diseases is because the immune system isn't adequately cleaning up the mess and that if you could make a more profound inflammatory response you would see a lot of these things go away and in the years that since then i've seen this uh, uh apparently corroborated on numerous occasions and yet pro-inflammatory agents are not something that you just see in uh, you know the doctor's uh Armamentarian. This, 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 this approach would seem to confirm uh, my uh, my uh, colleague of so long ago. Uh, his his conjecture on this: if you stir at the immune system in the brain, so that it goes in and reacts and takes care of things, uh, it may clean up the mess and and stave off Alzheimer's disease. I I'm I'm convinced that when you freeze off warts. Um, it isn't just that you've frozen up the tissue that falls off. You've also alerted the immune system that needs to go in and there's something going on. And I, I tell patients, I think it's like pulling the fire alarm. White cells come rushing in, everything goes rushing in, an inflammatory response. And then it spots the hidden virus, which has sort of been laying low in, in the human body, uh, unattacked. Anyway, that's a little speculative on my part, but uh, but I think that I think we're going to see more research like this, which is going to bear out the idea that if you can get some um, souped-up uh, inflammatory response, you know, much good will come of that ultimately. Of course, on the other hand, it is an over-exuberant uh, immune response, which is what's proving so deadly with the current strain of avian flu out there. Uh, the body just completely overreacts and with devastating consequences. So, of course, like everything else in the world, uh, this requires a fine balance. All right, number two story of the year, planet Xena rocks the solar system. We talked about this in the show, the discovery of UB313, the first Kuiper belt object larger than Pluto. Uh, it's been speculated for quite some time they were going to start finding these objects. They started doing so in 1992 after uh, astronomer uh, Gerald Kuiper said that we are going to find a lot of icy bodies in the edge of the solar system. Now that we found one that's actually larger than Pluto, the battle is on over how we define what a planet is. It seems clear that Pluto probably is headed inevitably for some sort of demotion out of the, uh, the family of planets. 
But everyone uh, notes that, well, it's going to make astronomers look stupid that they can't actually define what a planet is. We will, of course, continue to follow that story with you. And our final item for this segment of Discover Magazine's uh, Top 100 Stories of 2005. This one, this one, we must, we must follow up on because their number 11 story of the year is the fact that plants apparently can mend their own faulty DNA. Hello, Gregor Mendel. What's going on here? Apparently, uh, a study published last March showed that plants can correct defective genes inherited from their parents by reverting to an ancestral gene sequence. At Purdue University, a research team led by Robert Pruitt and Susan Law stumbled upon discovery while working with the Mustard family. Um, uh, they found a mutant version of a gene, which was dubbed hothead, causes the plant to have a fused flower. But even when each parent of the offspring uh, mustard contains two mutant versions of the gene, 10% of the next generation had normal flowers. Pruitt and his colleagues found that the plants somehow retrieved ancest the ancestral code that allowed them to repair the mutant gene. This, if you've ever taken a genetics course, you should know this is not what's supposed to happen, folks. Um, we're going to, you know, UC Davis has, uh, has been famous over the years for having, you know, some wonderful geneticists, some great uh, top flight people. Although I believe we lost one of our most celebrated geneticists, uh, Francisco Ayala, to UC Irvine uh, some years back. By God, we're going to talk to somebody about this because this one, I, I don't get. Frankly, we need to take a short break at this point. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. And for our bumper music, we've chosen our number three all-time Christmas selection. Oh, 